Well, want to start with as we are, uh, everybody, I'm going to mute everybody unless you want to speak. If you want to speak, feel free to unmute yourself. I'm going to mute everybody. As we look at this, uh, at this study, we're in a p- imperative number three in the book of First Peter. So if you'll turn with me to First Peter, we're in imperative number three. Imperative number three. We're going to look at this. I sort of hinted at this during my little nine-minute uh, thought this week towards you about this about submission. I appreciate some of your support and some of your encouragement and uh, about that meditation. So we're going to continue this thought. This is something that I have been grappling with for uh, many months, and uh, I've uh, I've confessed my faults to you, and I, I've confessed the process which God Himself is bringing me and His Spirit is teaching me. So I, I pray that you would uh, also look at this in your own heart to see where you are and see where God can take you, and He will. We're looking at period number three in the book of Peter, and uh, I want to start with uh, the imperative itself. I'm going to look at chapter two, verse 13. I'm just going to read a, a few verses. Uh, no, I'm not. I've changed my mind. Let's look at chapter two. Let's look at verse four. What I'm going to do is, 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 as I have been doing, I'm going to look at the imperative first, and then I'm going to look at the theology behind the imperative, the doctrine that enables us to obey. But I'm going to go ahead and read this a little lengthy, perhaps, but uh, I'm going to read this and then we'll go back and look at the uh, theology next week behind this imperative. But if you look at the first Timothy, uh, first Peter, wow, what a day. First Peter chapter two, verse four, first Peter chapter two, verse four, coming to him as a living stone, indeed rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and he who believes on him will by no means put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he's precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, they were disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. But you, brothers and sisters, you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We were once not a people, but now we are the people of God. We had not obtained mercy, but now we have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims to abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak evil against you as evildoers, that they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king is supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free 
yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. And I'm going to stop there. So what I'm going to do today is look at this first imperative, which is submission to government. And what Peter does in the organization and as the Holy Spirit has uh, directed him to write, he first uh, deals with the the, uh, the topic of submission to government. And then as he proceeds, he talks about submission to masters and our relationship to our employees and to our employers. And then he talks about the role of the of submission in the uh, in the family with the man and the wife. And so all of these are part of the imperative command of submission, and this breaks it down into categories. So what we're going to look at today is the first uh, commandment dealing with submission, and that is submission to government. And then next week, or maybe the next week, depends on how that goes, we're going to look at the theology behind this. And the reason we're able to obey government and submit to government is because we're the people of God. And because we've been chosen and we're a royal priesthood, and we're going to talk about that in great detail, we are his own special people. And he has saved us and called us to this calling uh, to proclaim his praises. And we're going to look at that in great detail. And we're going to see uh, his, his way to silence those who would be critical of the Christian faith is through submission to him. And we'll, we'll see this in his life. And we'll see that in the commandment for us uh, to submit to him. So I just want to look at this. And we're going to look at uh, chapter 2, verse 13, the submission to government. <clears throat> Before I get started, this is also going to be uh, dovetailed in with Paul's comments in Romans chapter 13 and his comments in Titus chapter 3 and then also in 1 Timothy. We'll look at these as we proceed through this. But I just want you to think about this, and I think this is, uh, we believe in the sovereignty and the providence of God, and as we look at what's been going on in this country for the last five days, I think it's apropos that we revisit what God's view uh, of being obedient and faithful to him is, and that is uh, one of the methods, one of the ways in which we, we, we give evidence that we're his is we would submit to government. And, uh, and as I spoke of in the meditations, a submission to government, especially if you're like me, is not a natural act. Uh, I'm an A personality type, and I'm passionate toward things, and I'm, I have a great passion toward what I believe to be true. And, and as I said, sometimes I am biased, and I, uh, I may not get a hold of all the facts, but I respond emotionally to things. And I think this is going to be good for us as we look at this. And first of all, I want us to see uh, the definition of what submission is. And I think as we define it, it's going to help crystallize it in our mind what 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 God calls us to uh, to submit to government. The word submission uh, literally means uh, a voluntary acceptance of a position of obedience to a supreme authority. So just as we're to be submissive to God and as Christ was submissive to his father, we follow the example of the Godhead. And so we submit voluntarily. We accept the position 
that he has put us under and we voluntarily obey a superior authority. And this submission uh, conveys the sense of urgency to us. It's written in the Greek so that this, instead of more of a day-to-day thing, which it is, but the, the sense in the Greek is that it, it conveys a sense of urgency, this submission. And it refers to the act, a decision of the will. So as we are called to submit and as God works in our hearts to give us this uh, ability and desire to submit, it is an act of our will and it is a, it is an act of the decision that we make to be faithful to Christ. And it literally means to put yourself in an attitude of submission. Submission is an act of the will, but it is also an attitude of the heart. And as I've confessed, uh, it is a, it is a process within me. But as we've been through this for the next for almost ten weeks now, uh, God is working in me to have an attitude of submission towards government. And this is a good thing for me, and I hopefully it'll apply to you also. But it is literally uh, deals with an attitude. It's a uh, I would consider this a learned behavior. Remember what Paul said in Philippians, uh, I've learned to be content. That learned means that it's not natural to us as human beings. It is something that may be, uh, quite honestly, it might, might be very discouraging to us. It may be something that is, uh, that is almost despiteful to us. This process of learning to be content and learning to be submissive, uh, it is uh, it is a work where God has to put to death our flesh, and we cooperate with Him and we yield our members. So, so this this submission is a learned behavior. It's not a a derogatory concept, as we may think, uh, as we're distasteful to it naturally. Uh, it's not a demand of forced submission, but it's, 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 it's as God works in your heart, as he changes your mind and he, and he creates a new conformity to Christ. We can just imagine, uh, Christ and his suffering. We'll get into this uh, next week when we talk about submission to masters, but this, uh, Christ had to learn obedience through the things that he suffered also. And so we too have to learn this obedience. We have to learn this trust in our as we go through this process. Uh, and I can just imagine, can you imagine Peter? Peter is uh, the apostle I love most and identify with most, as I've said, because of his personality and his passion. And uh, one of the things uh, negative about him and, and me is that we sometimes are rash in our decisions and we and we, we speak out maybe without thinking. And Peter did that. And can you imagine uh this process that, that the Holy Spirit is bringing Peter through. This is the same guy. Remember, Peter, this is the same guy. Turn with me to Mark. Uh, this has been a lifelong struggle with Peter, as I suspect it is with some of you, as I know some of you pretty well. Uh, it's a process in some of our hearts, but if you'll turn to Mark, this is the same guy, Peter. If you'll look at Mark, uh, chapter eight. Uh, the devil was after Peter. Let me tell you, he desired to sift Peter as wheat, uh, in the denials of Christ. And Christ said, I'm going to bring you to repentance and I'm going to cause you to endure. And, 
but uh, Peter was uh, was a a target of Satan. I don't know why, but uh, look at this target. Uh, this is how Satan um, tempts us through. He knows what our personalities are, and and Satan is after Peter. And look what he does in Matthew eight. Matthew eight verse thirty one. As we sort of get a picture of of Peter's in this process that Peter's going through, this isn't a natural thing for Peter to submit to government. Let me tell you. But look what he says in Matthew in Mark eight thirty one. And Jesus began to teach them that he, the Son of Man, was going to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And after three days, arise again. He spoke this word openly. Then Peter, look at Peter. He took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. So here Satan is rebuked as Satan tries to work out his plan of annulling the cross, of, of trying to prevent Jesus from dying on the cross to save his people. And so we see Peter being a, a uh, just useful pawn in Satan's scheme. And, and this personality of Peter is this natural belligerence, not to submit. So, so Peter says, you don't have to do this. Uh, this isn't, in my mind, this isn't the best way to go. Surely there's got to be another way, Jesus. Why would you have to die on a cross? And so can you just sense Peter's heart and what he's thinking in this? And, and maybe some of you can relate to what's going on in society today. Isn't there a better way, Father? I mean, this submission, isn't this, couldn't you come up with a better? I mean, if you let yourself go there, you cannot. We trust the Lord, but you can just see Peter. And this is also Peter, the same guy. Remember at the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, when Jesus is about to be arrested, if you'll turn to John 18, we see this same uh, personality type that, that, that the Holy Spirit is softening and changing. Uh, we see Peter in his personality. Look at him in his boldness. Uh, uh, Peter, uh, this is John 18, verse 10 and 11. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut his right ear off. And the servant's name was Malchus. And Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into your sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? Another example of Peter in his temperament, in his temperance, in his tendencies is he's, he's just fighting the process. And uh, we just see this in Peter's life. So this is the same guy. The Holy Spirit is writing this through Peter and changing Peter. And Peter says, submit to every ordinance of man's institutions. So we see this. We see this. And so understand this context. If we think the days are difficult now, if we look at the riots that have been going on for five days, if we look at this seeming chaos, if we look at as, as ethnic group against ethnic group and political faction against political faction, as we look at this world and we shake our heads and we think to ourselves, this is hard to understand. Think about Peter's context. Peter 
If we think it's difficult now, Peter is writing under the reign of Nero. This is a madman who, according to historians, burned the city of Rome by himself to purposely bring the Christians under subjection. He purposely burned Rome so that the Christians would be blamed, profiled, and ultimately killed. They were burned at the stake. They were fed to lions, and they were a hated community. Nero is the beginning of 300 years. Yes, I said that right. 300 years of persecution to Christians. He was the first emperor that started these persecutions. These persecutions existed for 300 years, ended uh, uh, with the reign of Domitian 300 years later. And during this time, 5 million Christians were martyred. So the context of this, that the Holy Spirit commands us to submit to government, was in a time of difficulty which we cannot imagine. Okay, so put yourself in this context. And in this context, Peter said, submit to all ordinances of man for the Lord's sake. And so we see this commandment. And so we see what this context is. And we see this. And as I read in my meditation, it's a it's a it's the Kenyan is the commentator. Not familiar with him, but I like to comment. And as I read this, I think Friday, submissiveness has always portrayed the spirit of Christ uh, in his people. Rebellion has never produced any response other than other than God than other than judgment. So we see submission defined. We see the particulars of it. And does anybody have any comments about submission before I move into the, to what we're to be submissive to, to how we're supposed to be submissive, submissive and why? Does anybody have any comments on submission that you would like to share with us? You are unmuted. Any comments on this commandment? Speak up. I cannot hear you. Hello? Nobody's coming. Okay. <laughs> so as we look at this, we're going to look at now, we're going to see to what should we be submissive to. And scripture is very plain. It says, submit yourself. This is personal. It involves every which one of us. This isn't a corporate command. It is a command to you, and it is a command to me without exclusion. It is very personal. So Peter, through the Spirit, says, you submit yourself to every ordinance, every ordinance. That includes, uh, let me read this quote, Christians are to obey the law of the land on a federal, on a state, and on a local level. From the Supreme Court to the traffic court, from income tax to parking regulations, believers are to be subject to duly constituted authority. So Peter tells each and every one of us as followers of Christ, as royal priesthood, as peculiar people, as chosen to praise God in our lives, 
he would call us to submission, voluntary obedience to every ordinance instituted by man. So that's the to what. And that is the command to submit ourselves. And if that doesn't discourage you, we see this great glowing picture of why. Why Father? Why Son? Why Holy Spirit and your divine providence are we to submit? And it doesn't say to submit to holy government. It doesn't say to submit to government you agree with. In this context, you're submitting to a hateful, ruthless, Christian-killing government. He says, submit to every ordinance for the Lord's sake. Let's look at this phrase, for the Lord's sake. Hey, Don. Yes, ma'am. I was just thinking when you said, I mean, it really kind of goes back to your last moment when you were saying uh, to speak up. But um, to me, submission requires trust. We have to trust that what God says about his sovereignty is true. You know, we have to trust that. That's the only way you can submit with a right heart. Because otherwise you're just doing a, you know, doing a a duty. And it is a duty, but you do, there's a way to do it. And You do it out of the duty, out of relationship to to our Father, right? Right. Because we've been reconciled and we trust him. And we're going to get into that in great depth as we look at this. But excellent point. Anybody else on submission? Uh, but uh, we do it for the Lord's sake. Uh, Christian obedience is motivated by loyalty to the Lord. We have freedom to subordinate ourselves to the Lord because of the relationship we have through Jesus Christ. And so we obey because we're motivated by loving relationship. We want to please our Father. We want to not bring shame to the name of our Savior. And so we willfully submit. And as Sheila said, we trust him with all our heart, and we do not lean on what we may think is best. We don't lean on our own understanding. We need to understand that God is working all of his purposes together. He uses the means of government to accomplish these means. And as I said, we look at the back of the book and we see how necessary it is for God to accomplish his purposes, that these things have to happen to bring about the glorious end that we are promised. So we see this and we see him working. We're not sure of all the particulars, but we see the means and we trust him. And we understand that all things are working together for our good. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's pleasant. That doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to enjoy it, the ride. But we understand to those who love God, according to his purposes, we trust him. He's good. And so he's working out his purposes in us. And so when it says, for the Lord's sake, literally it means uh, it is submission is out of a concern for his cause or a concern for his causes. It is, it is for conscience sake, as it tells us in Romans 13, 5. We do it for conscience sake. We do it uh, because his causes and, and his purposes are being accomplished. And we do not want to bring dishonor 
or shame to his name, and we do not want to give our enemies, as David said in 2 Samuel 12, 14, we don't want to give any reason for our enemies to blaspheme the name of our Savior. So uh, that's why it's for the Lord's sake. And we don't want to do anything. Catch this one. We don't want to do anything that's going to increase persecution of the body. So by our particular weakness and our in our rebellion against the submission to God and then as a result of submission to government, we are bringing about an opportunity for our brothers and sisters to be persecuted more. We may think that we are solving a problem that God hasn't already mentioned and known. Really, what we're trying, what we're really doing. We are we are forsaking his causes, and we are bringing shame to his name, and giving our reasons, enemies' reason to blaspheme. We may inadvertently be creating more persecution for our brothers and sisters in this world. We want to uh, not, by our unruly conduct, do that. And so we want to carefully and lovingly submit. For what God has called us to do. So that's the uh, that's the why, and we're going to look at a couple of other reasons why, and as we look at the particulars of this. But look what he says: whether to the king, what he's going to do now is he's going to characterize the current government that he is up is under the Roman government, and so. But this is going to apply to any type of government that is set up, whether you are under the uh, under the communist regime of. Uh, of, uh, of, of lead this right now in, 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 a, in a communist China, or if you were under the authoritarian regime of Putin or, or, or Kim Moon or wherever you are, this is going to be applicable to you if you're a believer in whatever nation you're in. But he uses this as an example of the current government he's under. So he says, he says, whether to the king is supreme, which in his day is the of course, is the Caesar, which, of course, is who is under rule, or to governors. Now, these governors have been appointed by Caesar, and they are to carry out the function of the government. It says, as to those who are sent by him, these governors, these subordinates of Caesar in this government in which Peter is presently living, they report to Caesar, and so this chain of command, you see that we are called to obey the top of the food chain, we are, we are called to obey a president, a prime minister, uh, whomever that may be, as Peter was called to obey Caesar and to the governors. And that would include Pilate, that would include Festus, and that would include Felix. As we see Jesus submitting to them as he was arraigned uh, against the law, against the Jewish law, as he was uh, humiliated wrongly, he submitted to Pilate, he submitted to Festus, and he submitted to Felix, to Caiaphas, and so did Paul. When he was being taken to Rome to appeal to Caesar, he went through the same process, and he obeyed just as Jesus did, and he obeyed as Peter is. And so we see this unanimity of, 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 of evidence that we are to submit to whatever government we were under. And so we see this, and when we see the function of government. In Romans, uh, it tells us that uh, Rome, uh, the, the government, and let's turn to Romans 13, as we see some of the, uh, the particulars of, of why we're to submit in the, uh, in the, uh, 
and the role government has to play. Uh, Paul expands on this is what Peter has written. Uh, Paul says, if you look at Romans 13, uh, uh, it says, uh, we'll start at verse 1. Every soul should be subject to the governed authorities. Exactly what Peter said, for there's no authority except for God. We understand that God is the source of it. And he has set it up in his uh, divine wisdom and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. So we're submitting to God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinances of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. We talked about that. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but the evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what's good. And you will have a praise from the same for God's ministers of the government. To you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. So one of the government's roles is to be God's minister and avenge justice and wrath. And so we see the purposes that God has set forth. Uh, and so we see this as to the uh, the function of government that we see here in Peter. Look what he says. Uh, uh, one function or two governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, as Paul has earlier said, and for the praise for those who do good. So we see government's role is to punishment evildoers and to praise those who do good. And this is, of course, the principle of, uh, of justice and vindication, uh, that, that God is the vengeful one. He will, vengeance is his, and he is ordained the means of government. And we are not to take vengeance on our own heart. We are not to be vengeful personally and vindicate ourselves and our minds or whatever we're thinking. We need to rely on and depend on and trust that God will ultimately avenge our personal wrongs against us, and he will revenge corporate wrongs against his body, and righteousness will prevail, and we will have a holy, righteous God one day. So we trust that, as, as Sheila said, and others I know are thinking. So uh, we are pre forbidden from uh, individual vindication, but we're to trust that's the role of government. And so... Uh, this phrase, the praise of those who do good, this is rare. Uh, the government will praise people for doing what's uh, good. Uh, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that, but uh, uh, rarely government does praise people for doing what is good and righteous. So we see the why of submission, and it is for the Lord's sake. Any comments on that now that we've gotten to the why? Uh, we've looked at the uh, what submission is uh, any comments on the why and the uh, the role of government as we've gone through this so far anybody have any questions or comments anything that you want to add we're going to in a minute we're going to look at today's day and age as we look at uh, some other things but uh, as we look through this now i want to look at uh, uh this is going to be a combination of the how and the why the the reasons why we submit and the how we submit. And we're going to look at this uh, uh, again. Look at verse uh, 15. Verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free men. 
not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. So we see this reason to submit and the how we submit and, and the and the effects of submission. We see this. First thing we see, uh, it is God's will that we do good. It is God's will that we do good. He's a righteous God. He does things that are righteous. There's no moral impurity in him. And as we talked earlier, I think a couple of weeks back, is he who called you is holy. We too should be holy. In all of our conduct, and this is just a part of our conduct that we're to be holy in, and we're to be we're to resemble our Father and His Son Jesus Christ on this earth. First thing we see is by doing good, we may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. This is uh, uh, one one commentator says it's always God's will for His people to live. So that their practical expression of Christian principles sets apart their relationships with others in this world. So God's will, his declared will in his word, it accomplishes his secretive will. You'll chew on that for a second. His declared will that accomplishes his secretive will is for us to do good on this earth. Uh, so that we may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Uh, we are to have a regard for our testimonies before men. And in God's providence, he calls us to submit. And then he says, I love this in the Greek, put to silence, that literally means by our doing good, God has called us to act righteously and to be separate from those who do not act righteously from the sons of disobedience, which we've talked about in the previous couple of weeks. We're to do this because by doing this, we put to silence foolish men. That literally, that expression literally means in the Greek, it means to tie shut and to muzzle like a vicious dog. So our doing good, although it does not make sense to me sometimes, as I've confessed, we silence, we tie shut, we muzzle the mouths of foolish men. Uh, that is in the present tense also. So it means we keep on silencing the attackers by not giving them a valid reason to attack us. And we, by our good works, cause men to observe God and go, hmm, there's something different about that person. And they will one day they will glorify God, although it may be late, but they will reflect back and they, we're a testimony against them in some way. So we see this. We see God's work in us. Uh, and we see Jesus doing this uh, specifically to the Pharisees and to the Sadducees. And this is the same verbiage used. If you look at Matthew 22, Matthew 22, this is before the uh, chapter of 23, which Jesus very, very critically uh, deals with the Pharisees. Uh, but we see this in, in Matthew 22. The Sadducees, they don't believe in the resurrection. And so they're always giving the Pharisees and they're giving Jesus and his disciples a difficult time. And they're trying to trick them. 
Look what Jesus says in this phrase in 22:34. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, that's the same verb, same Greek structure that Jesus had literally tied and muzzled, tied the face and muzzled the Sadducees when he gave the uh, the parable and told them about the resurrection, as, as you can read uh, previously that. But that's the same verbiage. Jesus silenced the Sadducees by doing good. He put them to silence, and he, he used the theology, and he used the word to silence the critics. So we see this. And then when he says, this is the will of God that by doing good you may put this up. the ignorance of foolish men. Our opponents, this word foolish mean, men, this just no way says that our opponents are not intellectual or do not have brain function. As a matter of fact, many times our opponents are more skilled in the world than we are. They are wiser than we are, right? They are intellectual. They're very, they're very capable of expressing their arguments and they're, they sometimes overwhelm us. And, and if you've ever been overwhelmed by an unbeliever and just some things you understand, well, they're, this is not saying that our opponents, uh, are, are stupid people. They're very intelligent people. But when it says foolish, it means they're not intellectually foolish. It means they are spiritually foolish and they are they are faith slow. Our opponent, our opponents that we silence by obedience and through submission. Our opponents are uh, disobedient and closed-minded to God's word. Uh, they would be the fool. Jesus, I mean, the psalmist said, "The fool is said in his in his heart, no God." So our opponents are not intellectually inferior to us, but they are they are spiritually inept, and they do not have eyes to see and ears to hear. But we are called to submit and obey Christ. And through that submission, this means he's ordained to silence them and put them because they have nothing uh, rightly to convict us of because we are obedient and faithful to him. So we see this uh, about our opponents. So we still put them to silence by faithfulness and by doing good and doing righteous acts. And that's what God calls us to do. And no, notice what it says here. Uh, does anybody have any comments on that one? I'll unmute you for uh, mute you. Anybody have any comments about putting to silence foolish men? And uh, and we do that through doing good. Anybody have any comments about that? Okay. <laughs> we'll move on to the next point. <coughs> anybody, did somebody have something to say? No. Go to the next one. Look what it says. As free, verse 16, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bond servants of God. Bond servants of God. This means as free. This simply means uh, this is how we show obedience because we are uh we are free. This word free uh, refers to our inner new nature, and this is not a political comment. When it says, Peter says, we are free, this means this is our spiritual status. We are free from the power of sin and from the, uh, we are free 
uh, in our inner man, and we are not no we are no longer in bondage to sin. The bondage of sin is broken. And so when Peter says you are free, he's not talking about political freedom. We're under subjection to politicians and institutions, but we are free internally. We are free because of who we are in Christ. We are free because of our new nature. And because we are free, we are no longer in bondage to our own flesh. We don't have to... Uh, be disobedient to God because we can't help ourselves, right? We are freed from that bondage. And of course, is Romans 6, we reckon ourselves to be dead to sin. We no longer live to sin, and we are no longer in bondage to sin, nor are we in bondage to the consequences of sin as far as penal judgment goes. So when Peter says we're free, he's referring to who we are in Christ, our new natures and the freedom. And we have now, we have the ability and we have the desire to be obedient. Before we were in Christ, we were not free. We were slaves to our sin natures and we did what our natures uh, told us to do. We sinned willfully and we sinned because that's who we are. And uh, we didn't have any problem with it. It didn't, didn't create conflict in our minds and our consciences. And now that we're free, we now have an ability and a will and a new desire to be faithful, and we have a new ability to be faithful. So that's what it means. And it says, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice. Peter is saying, you're free from the bondage of sin, but you're not free to cover up evil. When 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 Peter taught, understand this, Peter's saying our freedom, who we are in Christ, is not a license to sin. He's combating something that Paul combats, that Jesus combated, and that's antinomialism. That's, that's where we, that's what, it's this concept that says grace, uh, we're delivered from the penalties and the restraints of sin, so we can sin so that grace may abound. Peter's saying, no, 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 this freedom, that we have in Christ, this new man, is not a license to sin. So when it says you don't use your liberty as a cloak for vice, that literally means you don't cover up or conceal who you are in Christ, and you can't flippantly and willfully sin. Uh, God said, God forbid that we should sin willfully so that grace may abound. That's from uh, Romans 6. And so when Peter says, you're free, your position in Christ, no longer in bondage to sin. We do not have a license to sin. Antinomialism is rejected. And so the whole teaching on if you say that you love me and you're in fellowship with me and, you're, and your life is continual, characterized by sin, you're a liar and you're unfaithful, First John. And so Peter would say, just because you're free from the bondage of sin, you are not free and licensed to sin. Grace does not say it's okay to sin because I'm in Christ. And we talked about that in great detail. So we see uh, that our liberty is not an excess to sin. So we do not have the license to protest and to riot and to create subservience to the government, but we are to be in submission because we are free in Christ and not because we have a license to sin. Sin because of Christ. And now as we uh, as we see this, 
then he says, but we are body servants of God. We need to remember that we are not our own, but we are bought with the precious blood of Christ. This word bond servant is doulos, and it's the word slaves. We are uh, willing slaves to our master. We are not to be um, uh, freedom. We don't have freedom from a master, but we voluntarily submit to God as our rightful master. He's bought us with his blood. We're not our own. And so we are to submit to him because who we are and that we are bought by his precious blood. So that is the the why and the how of submission. That's the how we do good works. And that is how we silence foolish men because of who we are in Christ. And because we've been bought with his precious blood. Now what he ends up with is he broadens this scope. And this is going to be a, a fitting way to end this discussion. He, he quickly shoots four imperative commands. Remember I said that we're studying the foundational imperatives in this book. There's seven of them, but there are numerous other commands. But Peter finishes this topic of submission to government by expanding our Christian living. And then he uses four imperatives, four commandments. And look at verse 17. He says, honor all people. Honor all people. Uh, does anybody, uh, I hope some of you did and were, were, uh, influenced by, uh, Robbie Zacharias. He, uh, he was a Christian apologist. He was a, he ministered for 57 years. He was from India. At the age of 17, he tried to kill himself and he was in a hospital and his mother brought him a Bible. And uh, as he read the word, as God opened his heart, regenerated his mind, uh, his verse that he lived, why, because I live, you also shall live. And uh, those who eulogized Ravi, it was Friday. If you, if you have a chance to look at it, I would highly commend it. Uh, he was eulogized. And, and when it says honor all men, I think Ravi defined what honor all men meant. In his own personal writings and as others eulogized him, uh, uh, Mike Pence was there and others were there to eulogize him as he ministered. Uh, uh, some of the things that were notable that really defines what Peter is saying, honor all men. It literally means to value all people because they're made in the image of God. We are to treat all men of the truth that they are creating all image. We should have a thought towards all men that there's a dignity to men because they're created by God. Now we are made in the image of God. We are rational creatures. We can think, we can reason. Uh, we make, uh, we make choices. We are, we are free agents, so to speak. But Ravi would say that every time he would confront somebody about the reality of Christ, that he was, as he would pursue his work as an apologist, he always said, each person that I'm talking to has a history. Each person has a longing in their soul. Each person has a bias. Each person comes from different backgrounds. He ministered to people all over the world. Uh, he was from India, so he ministered there. But all over the world, as he met people, he treated people with dignity and he treated with respect. And so when you do that, uh, as Peter says, honor all men, although men are 
greatly flawed and have fallen greatly in the fall and the, and the image of God is marred, there is still an image of God in each man uh, because man is able to reason the rational creature different from the other creation, obviously. So, uh, so this would apply that when you honor all men, it is going to help eliminate racial conflict. And as we apply today, and as we apply the riots that are happening, I, I don't know if you guys read this morning, uh, uh, just the horrific night America had, as you see from New York to Los Angeles, from Minneapolis to Houston, rioting. Officers had been killed. Throat was slashed in Jacksonville, Florida. An officer was beaten in Chicago. 2,000 people were marching and looting at Rodeo Drive in Los Angeles saying, eat the rich. And there is a, as Jesus said, because lawlessness abounds, the love of many are going to wax cold. And we see this spirit of lawlessness in our nation, which is the opposite of, of submission. And so we see this, this uh, open wound festering in this country. Uh, isn't God right when he says to honor all men? Isn't he right to say that men have a dignity? And we don't agree with the protesters. We don't agree with the looting and the violence. And uh, we don't agree with these things. We don't agree with how this officer was killed. We don't know all the details yet. But uh, Christ would compel us as his people to honor all men. And so uh, as we watch this unfold before our eyes, we are to be different and we are to be trusting Christ. Does anybody have any comments about what's going on and our attitude toward these things are? Does this help you put it into perspective and how we're to be different from people? Anybody have any comments about this? You are you are all unmuted. Would anybody like to comment about this? Y'all are making it very difficult on me. Making it very difficult on me. So we see these things occurring, uh, but we are to honor all men. Next thing, love the brotherhood. We are to have a special love for God's people. We are to love all believers as a collective unity. And our love for believers shouldn't be to a select few who are of our political bent. We are not to love our brothers in our church that agree with us about our views about what's going on in the government. We are not to, we are not to look down our, our long noses our arrogant noses at people who think differently about this virus than we do. We are to have a respect for each brother's in our church's view. And we are to uh, submit to their thoughts and put their needs before our own. That's what it means to love brothers. It's not to say, well, you think you're taking all this a little too seriously and you don't think there's a conspiracy. Whatever you think in your head, we are to love each other we are to respect each other's views, and we are to put each other's uh, opinions and views, and we are to uh, 
We are not to argue, fight, fuss. We're to be unified. We're to love one another. And, uh, and, and, as, and as I am an elder and have been for not long, uh, what really appeals to me and what really is teaching me is we're to have a gentleness to all men. Uh, this uh, Christ typified it in Second Corinthians 10.1, the gentleness of Christ. Uh, Paul reiterated that we're to be gentle to all men. And so uh, speaking to me, that word gentle means to have a heart of tolerance to others, to have a heart of, of clemency, to have a heart of graciousness to others, and to uh, put each other's needs before our own. And uh, just I hope God's working that in your heart. He is mine. But uh, we're called to... Uh, we're called to honor all people, and we're called to love the brotherhood and folks that's not natural to us, and that's a work of God in our heart. So I hope this will, uh, during these days, that he would work this in your heart. And then thirdly, we see that we are to uh, fear God, uh, that we're to fear God, and that is, that's not a, that word fear, we are to have a fear for God, it's not a, a cringing terror or fright. We've been reconciled to him. He's no longer angry with us. His wrath has been appeased through the propitiatory work of Christ. But this phrase, the fear of God, we're to have a habitual attitude of awe and reverence for him. We're to, we're to trust him, as Sheila said, and we are to yield to his ways. His thoughts are higher than ours. And we're to understand that this process is, is, is from him. He allows what he allows to accomplish his purposes. And, uh, and, uh, and this enables us to rightly carry out our duties toward men. When we have a healthy fear of God, fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And we understand that with the chief end of men is to, is to obey God and to fear God and to keep his commandments, Ecclesiastes 12, 13. And we're put on this planet according to the, to the shorter catechism, to enjoy, to enjoy God, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So as we honor men and as we love the brothers, brotherhood, uh, we fear God. This fearing of God enables us to have the right attitude toward uh, what's going on on this planet today and to live a life of obedience and faithfulness and sober-mindedness. And then we'll look at that. And then lastly, it's honor the king, just going back to government as he finishes this, this section on submitting to government. He just says you just need to have a respect for the office. We may not respect the current office holder in any government realm or situation. You may not respect our president now. You may not have respected Obama or Clinton or Bushes or or Jimmy Carter, or John F. Kennedy, however long we can go back in your lifespan. Uh, but uh, but we're to honor the office, and we're to honor that it's ordained by God, and we're to respect the office, and we respect the office holder because we know that God has put him in there. Everyone who is in office or ever has been in office has been placed there by God, and we trust there's a purpose in that. And so we look to him uh, I anticipated much more conversation uh, than I did not get from you folks today. So I, uh, I'm a little early in finishing this. 
but now could we, uh, anybody have anything to offer about this? Next week we're going to talk about uh, uh, submitting to uh, employees. We're going to talk about slavery. Uh, we're going to talk about submitting into the, in the marital relationship, husband and wife, and the hindering of prayers. And then we're going to talk about the blessed concepts of, of how we're able to submit. This isn't in a vacuum, but it's because we're called to praise him and uh, glorify him because who we are in Christ. We'll look at that. Anybody, anything to offer or add? Donna, I have a question. Yes, ma'am. Um, I mean, back in, uh, my mind gets stuck on certain things sometimes, and I'm back in verse 15. So, But whenever it says, for such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men, Yes. Could that, um, like, you know, we know that God gives us a conscience, whether or not we're a believer. It doesn't matter. We still have a conscience. And with that being said, you know, maybe the, the Pharisees or people even today, they might recognize the goodness that would cause them to be silent, even though they don't agree, you know. Sometimes when I'm in a conversation and I can recognize the other person is way over my head in their thinking and their theology, I am silent and I listen because I don't, you know, I don't have that understanding. And the Holy Spirit, I mean, could could that be a reason that they were silent? I guess is what I'm asking. I I don't know. Uh, You know, that's a that's a really good question and. uh... We have one above us here, Terry, sitting there if he would like to contribute. But uh, uh, the context is that through obedience and submission, the primary context, I think, and I think what you're saying could be a secondary effect, but the primary effect of this, as I understand it, is that by obedience and submission to government and by our uh, doing good, uh, unreasonable, foolish men who are faith-starved, metaphorically speaking, do not have a a real reason. They don't have a valid reason for uh, condemning us. We haven't done anything through our mm-hmm. behavior that would give them a valid reason for what they're going to do to us. So that that silences them. They don't have a valid reason. Now they may do it without a valid reason, and indeed they mm-hmm. always do. We know that. But uh, but it's sort of like is is. As, as what Paul said, as much as depends upon you, get along with all men. You remember that phraseology? We obey God, and as much as depends on that, then we allow God to bring the fruits of that. And one of the fruits of that is that, that, that foolish men are silenced, and that's not always the case. I think this is a general rule of thumb in this specific context. Uh, but I think what you said is valid, Sheila. It may be a secondary effect, but uh, but uh. We are just to be obedient and let God yield the increase. That's my understanding. Do you have a different understanding, Terry? Feel free. Uh, if anybody else has a, it's a good question. Uh, we understand that we may be doing perfectly good and righteous things, and it may have no observable effect. And it dri- may drive wicked men crazy, and it may make them... Uh, you remember when Stephen was stoned, when he said... When he said I pray that you wouldn't bring this charge against them. Did they say, oh, that's natural, and did that shut them up? What did they do? They stoned him, right? 
So I don't think this is a, a verse that would say in all situations, uh, when you do right, uh, all your, your, your foolish opposition is going to uh, uh, stop pursuing you. I don't think that means that at all. But it, I think it's a general rule of God's way for us. Any, 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 any thoughts on that? Any other comments on that? We all are either being easy or uh, whatever. Uh, I'm finished. I need to pray. And I want us to, uh, if you will, in the privacy of your own home and today, pray for our country. Uh, those of you who have been around a while, as I've been around, riots have been going on since the 60s even before that, for various reasons. But this seems to be a bit different, seems to be a bit more widespread. There seems to be what we would expect to be lawlessness, the spirit of lawlessness. And there seems to be a, 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 a rapiding, a, 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 a more of a rapid rate of the birth pains that the crisis promised. Ethnic groups going to rise up against ethnic groups. And, uh, I, just, uh, I just pray that you'd feel that burden that I do, that we'll just pray for our country. And that we would be faithful and we would be submissive and we'd be obedient to Christ. And, uh, and by our actions, we will bring no shame to our Savior and in our thinking and uh, that he would transform our minds and hearts. So let me pray and, uh, we'll let you go a bit early, uh, perhaps. Father, we trust you and we do not understand, uh, the particulars of some of these difficult verses. We do not understand uh, your methods and your means, but we trust you and we know uh, that you will accomplish your purposes in this world. You will harden some men, as you say, and you will bring some men to faith by what we say and because of our testimony. But Lord, the, the end results are in your, in your precious and gracious hands and we trust that. Help us to be faithful. Help us to trust you more deeply. Help us to yield to your word. Help us to voluntarily submit because we're bought with your precious blood, who we are in Christ. As we, as we, although we may not understand all things, we may in our own flesh, we would say, I would do it a different way. Of course we would. That way is different. You're perfect in all your ways, and everything you do is perfect. Nothing can be added to it. You don't make any mistakes. It's, uh, there's not going to be a second thought. Uh, your will is perfect. Your wills will be, your will will be accomplished. We trust you. Give us grace in these days in which we live. Help us to be faithful servants and useful to your kingdom and to your glory. And change us as you will by your word, through your spirit. And we pray these things in your strong name. Amen.